All right, I invite you to turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27 today. That's our focus. That's where we're looking. And if you have your scripture journal as well, and just a reminder, there are still some of those available for you. If you uh, choose, if you would like to get one of those, you can do so. Uh, but we are going to get right into it. This is a packed text, and at the close of this, we are also going to come to the table and receive from the Lord uh, from his table. And so if you are, are someone that maybe would have a difficult time coming up to receive that today, uh, we do have uh, some of the cups that are, have the bread and the, the juice all connected to it, and our ushers could get those for you, or you could slip out now and do that. But that's what we will be offering to you, is just an opportunity to come and, and uh, remember the Lord's sacrifice at the close um, of this message. All right, so there's, there's lots in this, lots and lots and lots of stuff. So I'm going to get right to it, James chapter 1, 19 to 27, and I'm going to be kind of reading this uh, throughout uh, my points. I've entitled this Practical Instruction for You, for Me, and the Church Everywhere. I always am very intentional about it when I, when I put together a sermon and craft the words of it that I'm like, okay, man, this is for me. Like, this, this has to land... For me first, and I'll tell you, it was, um, this isn't an easy one uh, at all for any of us or for me, because if there's anyone talking about words that are spoken, and then seeing that translated into actual living it and acting it out, um, I probably say more words than anyone around here. So sometimes you say, man, yeah, like, listen to what you're talking about here, you know. But, so it has to land for me first. And so when I say, when I say you, I always intend to say we, or you and me, because I'm part of, part of this process as well. I am, I am that uh, among you. And so this is practical instruction for you, for me, for the church everywhere, for all churches, all believers, and all times, locations, places. Um, it, it, is, it is so important because I think that James is hitting to a place that is going to stir us up a little bit and say, well, if we're just really comfortable in our, our nice orange pew, don't you like it? It's so orange in here today. It just matches. But we can get real comfortable sitting where we're at and, you know, a little golf clap. Oh, that was nice today. Oh, it was nice songs and nice message. And then we go out and do nothing about it. And that's what this text is about. And so I hope that it stirs us. I hope it stirs me. Um, because this is, we want to be uh, people who don't just hear the word, but do it. So this is it, instructions that are pretty practical. First of all, this, how to deal with people. I mean, if you could only write a book like that, right? how to deal with people, you, you probably would buy that book or read that book or, you know, understand that we, we have a pretty good one here in the Bible. So this is how James starts out this passage, verse 19. He says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he says, know this. And he says, beloved brothers, brothers and sisters, like those of you who are very, very dear to me. And when we understand this, the context, and that, that James is speaking to this church that, has, that is scattered around because of persecution, and, and things are on the outside, externally, they are facing opposition and, and challenge to their, their faith. But this is, is kind of an internal thing. It's like, it's like a church-like college drive. 
It's like a church like down the road. It's like people who are relating to other people. And what happens when you get a bunch of people together? <laughs> Lots of stuff. And that there is relational hurt and, and damage because of words and not listening to each other and because of anger. So this is kind of good news for us, realizing that all the stuff that we, we deal with and problems among us in ways that we treat each other and talk about each other and things that are convicting to us by God's word, the same things that were happening in, in the church, in the early church. So he says, my beloved brothers, he says these, these things, this is almost a proverb. If you, if you were to read through Proverbs, you would see things very similarly to this verse. It wouldn't catch you off guard. It's a simple, simple timeless truth. Be quick to listen, quick to listen. So, I mean, this can appear and come to you for every situation in your life. Shut your mouth. <laughs> you could just write that in your journal. Um, a reminder, in the situation at work where there's something, there's something going on and people, you know, other employees are talking and they're talking about the boss and, and this is what we're going to do and I don't know if we should do that. Be still. Shut your mouth. Just listen. Listen first. In your home, in your family, relationships there, in your life groups, in the foyer. Be slow. Be, be very quick to hear, to listen. Ask questions. That's a, that's a great thing to write down in your journal too. Ask questions. This is what Jesus did. If you ask a question and then stop and just wait for the response. This is the way of Jesus. You learn where someone is coming from. Uh, Tanya mentioned that we, we had a, a time together as elders this weekend on Friday night and Saturday. And on Friday, we had an opportunity just to sit around a circle and simple questions to respond to. What are you thankful for? And what's causing you stress or difficulty? So things to praise God and things to pray for. And it was, it was fantastic to just, just sit in a circle. We didn't have business to attend to or things to, to manage or deal with. We just heard from each other's heart and just say, this is, this is what I had. I'm so grateful to God for this. And on the other hand, this is something that I'm really struggling with. Just to listen to each other, to hear from each other. Here's a, a take-home challenge for you. If you are really, really brave, ask someone in your life who loves you <laughs> and who loves you enough to tell you the truth, ask them this question. Am I a good listener? <laughs> There's a few of you are going, oh man, I don't know if I want to hear the answer to that. Am I a good listener? And then listen. And allow someone, perhaps, to speak a truth to you that might sting a little bit, but might remind you, be quick to listen. Listen well. It says, slow to speak. Slow to speak. There's a, the story of, of the monk who went to the monastery, and he was instructed that he could only have two words to speak at the end of every year. Two words. So the first year goes by, comes to the, the other monks, and the two words he speaks, he, he says, he says, food's bad. 
And that's it. Another year goes by, complete silence. End of the year comes, and next, next what, are you, what are your words? You know, beds, hard. That's it. Next year goes by, silence all year long. Comes, it has two words to say. He says, I quit. And the other monk says, well, good riddance. All you've done is whine and complain. Can you imagine, though, if you had a maximum of words to say every day? Like, that was it. Um, my, my wife tells me after Sundays and Sunday afternoons that I have used my words for the day. <laughs> but if you only had so much, you know how when you fill out one of those, um, you know, submitting a forms online or, or something like that, and it tells you you only have... 350 characters or something, right? And you start typing and you start, you know, ranting about this and that, about your fridge that's not working and you have to submit this thing. And then all of a sudden it says, like, you have no more characters left, right? It's gone. You've used all your words. Can you imagine if that was the case for your everyday? You know, our experiences have shown us that words have power to heal or to hurt. Our culture, everyone has an opinion and there's a passionate conviction behind everyone's opinions and they're so quick to share it. No doubt we saw the pain and the conflict that this had in many churches and many families through COVID because people had opinions and they wanted to share it and they were passionate about it and they didn't listen always very well. And we could have in each of us, as we looked at in those times with good reflection, say, you know what? We could have listened more. We could have spoken less. This past Friday was Truth and Reconciliation Day. And if you were listening to different things on TV or on the radio, you heard this common statement. It's a day to listen. A day to listen. For most of us, we've not experienced the pain of what Indigenous people experienced in residential schools. Losing children, suffering countless abuses at the hands of those who were in positions of trust and power. And so what do we do when we hear those stories? We listen. We listen more. We speak less. Proverbs 17, verse 28, it says, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongue. Have you ever had one of those moments where you were in the middle of a conversation and there was something that just, man, if I said that, that would really be funny. Or if I said that, that would really prove my point. But then in a moment of unbelievable wisdom, you just kept your mouth shut. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> and then someone else says something, and everyone else agrees, and it was contrary to your opinion, or it would have shown that your joke would have really landed poorly, you would have offended someone, and you go away from there thinking, whew, that was wise. It can't happen. Think of the damage that's maybe been caused in your life or in your family by slander, by lies, by gossip. When words are, are used without measuring them. 
something that my wife has, has said throughout our, our years together and with our kids are just measuring your words and asking yourself the questions, is it kind, is it necessary, and is it true? Is it kind, is it necessary, is it true? And before you speak, measuring that, is, are all of those things the case in what you are about to say? Because it might be true, but it may not be kind, it may not be necessary, you understand? Then James goes on to say, slow to anger. Slow to anger. It doesn't bring about the righteous life. It's not the fruit of a heart that's connected to God. It actually brings the opposite. Anger brings out sinfulness in us. Now, it doesn't say, he's not saying in all cases. There might be moments where you can recognize there was righteous anger. There was something, there was an injustice that was done, and it, it brings up things that that is not right, and, and there is some anger involved that could be right. But let's face it, most of our human anger that James is talking about, it's related to self. It's related to wrongs that have been committed against us. It's, it's something that we didn't get our way or something that's within us as our character that, that we're not patient or we're not tolerant of others. As you know, I've, I've mentioned a few times, I do like watching football, and, and football, it's a, it's a violent, aggressive sport. And there's stress, and there's so much money on the line in so many things. And you see the coaches, and they're, they're just like, so often they seem to be out of control and even a player like, you know, Tom Brady, he's, he's an experienced veteran player, and he's, you see him on the sideline, he's got the, the tablet there, and he's mad, and he just throws it down, and it just shatters everything. And then a few weeks later, they have cameras. You know, they have cameras everywhere. This probably isn't a new thing at all, but they show everything now, and there's cameras inside the, the upper coaches' rooms, you know, or the, the offensive uh, coordinators and things like that often are. And they showed one this last little while, the guy, there was bad time management and they didn't make the play and they lost the game. And this offensive coach in there, he just loses it. Like he's just, he just throws everything off. He throws those papers and it's not like he just goes, Phoosh, and then he's like, Ugh. he's just like continually just throwing things. And I'm thinking millions of people are watching this. They're watching you just lose your cool enraged, and you're thinking, man, what is that guy doing when he's at home? Like, he's just lost it. What good did it do? I want to ask you to consider that. Has it ever been something that you have done in anger that has actually been profitable or beneficial in any way? If you're arguing with your spouse or your kids, coworker, and you just slam the door or start throwing things. I remember when I was uh, about 13 years old, my sister, she is a few years older than me, she got under my skin. Like no one has ever got under my skin. Like I, nothing. And, and she was taking German in school. That was the option of our second language was German. And she was learning German, but I don't think she was learning the words that she was saying to, about me in her German class. Somewhere she had picked up these words, or she said it with a tone that made it sound like that isn't a good word to be calling her little brother. 
innocent as I was. And she taunted me with these words, and it had just enraged me. And I grabbed the first thing that I, I could grab, and it was a knife, and I threw it at her. I missed, and it was a butter knife. But I reflect on that, and I think, what? How did that, where did that come from? And maybe, maybe you experience moments like that where, where anger just rises up. Something presses your button, and you lose control. And James is saying, you know, this, this doesn't bring about the righteous life. It's the, the fruit of the righteous life that you know in Jesus is not evident in those moments. So be slow to anger. Keep your cool. Some of you work with, with machines. Don't get angry. You work with power tools, things like that. Just keep calm. Some of you bake. Have you ever done any baking when you're angry? It's like kneading that bread, kneading it. It's over-kneaded. Burn your cookies. What good does it do? Anger. You get the point. Let me say this. If, if you are experiencing uh, this kind of feelings of anger in your life or you've been dealing with anger for a long time, could I encourage you to get help? To talk to someone? Find out the root of, of your anger. Why are you so angry? And address it. And seek help and seek God's help in it. Wow, I'm only on number two. We got to cook here. All right. Secondly, how to deal with your garbage. Practical point here. Simple as this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, James says. Like, put it away. Take it off. 17th century Bible commentator John Trapp writes about this. He says this. He says, it's the stinking filth of a... I'm using his, as if his voice, but, you know, he probably had more of an accent. The stinking filth of a pestilent ulcer. It's pretty graphic. Sin is the devil's vomit, the soul's excrement, the superfluity of the garbage of naughtiness. I like that one. And he's just saying, like, this is what you got. You got to get rid of that because this is the result of, of sin, the filth and the rampant wickedness in our world. Evil that is prevalent. See, it grows. It doesn't just stay nice and quiet in its corner in your house. It starts to smell. It rots in the inside of your life. I had a, a whole pile of, uh, of milk jugs stored up. And uh, we do a lot of using, I use a lot of milk at camp with our coffee trailer. And, uh, and I just, out of laziness, didn't rinse them, just put the, you know, seal the lid back on, right? And so the time comes where, man, I got to deal with these and, and, and take them to the recycling. I like to organize them and, and squish them down, right? Because you, can, you can't fit very many in a bag, so I squish them down. Well, it's pretty, pretty brutal smell, right? The sour milk. And so I, I just, you know, I bag them up nicely and, and have them in my garage waiting for, you know, probably tomorrow I'll take them. And I, I don't assume as I go into my garage that it's suddenly going to smell like flowers. It gets worse. 
day by day. This is the same as sin. This is what sin does. He says it's rampant. It grows. It corrupts. It destroys relationship. This is what we talked about last week. It, sin, it, it, there's conception. There's growth. And then ultimately death. The therefore here probably is alluding to verse 18. It says, you've been, you've been regenerated. You've been given new birth. Reborn for God's purposes. So, so what, what are you doing with that? You take off the old way of life. This is a common theme throughout the New Testament. Apostle Paul talks about this fair bit. Like take off, pull, put off your old garments of your old way of life. All those things that drag you down. That's what sin does. And put on the new way in Jesus. So he's saying there's an alternative that transforms you. Verse 3, how do we receive the word of God? And receive with, weak, with meekness, not weakness, with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. How do we come to the word of God? We come humbly. Let me ask you, is that how you approach God's word? The God-breathed, inspired word. The living, active, sharper than any sword, a two-edged sword. Is that how you come to, to the Bible, to God's word, and come under its authority? Sometimes in our, in our way where we have so many opinions, where we come to something in God's word and we, we read something about Jesus and we say, man, I don't know if I agree with what Jesus said there. Hmm. We read Apostle Paul and we're like, hmm, I don't know. He seems kind of chauvinistic. Uh, you know, and then we start to, to weigh ourselves in our own wisdom with the word of God. We elevate our position and our knowledge and our, our brilliance of, of culture and of our own life and understanding our own ways that we do things. And we minimize the word of God. Is that how you treat God's word? Or do you come to it with meekness, with humility? It's also speaking of internalizing it. It's planted in you. Douglas Moo says this, what James is suggesting by describing the word in this way is that the Christian must not think he is done with the word of God after it has saved him. That word becomes a permanent, inseparable part of the Christian, a commanding and guiding presence within him. The command to receive the implanted word then is not a command to be converted, but to accept its precepts as binding and to seek to live by them. That's the whole point. It's a permanent, inseparable part of a Christian's life. That's the word of God. Is that how you approach God's word? Fourth, how to avoid self-deception and be blessed. Verse 22 to 25, he says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
It's an interesting term that James uses a couple times here is talking about self-deception, that you are deceiving yourselves. There's lots of things in Scripture that talk about deception coming from outside sources. Paul and other apostles are speaking to the church and saying, don't be deceived. Don't let other people deceive you by false teaching, heresy, not a true understanding or belief in who Jesus is. There's lots of things about how you can be deceived. Satan is also a deceiver. The Bible says that he masquerades as an angel of light. So everything, it looks really good, nice and shiny. This is nice. But really, it's death and darkness lies. But this James is talking about, he's saying this is, you are deceiving your own self. How does this happen? And this is, the crux of it is saying this, is that you're thinking that you are good the way that you are through hearing only and by doing nothing. Just kind of giving yourself a pat on the bat, saying, I'm good, I'm I'm all good the way that I am. I've, I've heard a nice message, had a nice discussion in my life group, sang some really nice songs, and I'm good. But you walk away, you go away, and you do absolutely nothing. And he says it's worthless. You're deceiving yourself. And actually, if you follow this line out, is that you're actually worse off than if you hear, when you, when you hear and do nothing, you're worse off because it's actually talking about active rebellion. So you hear something in church or in your, in your study of the word, you read it, but then you go away and you do nothing. You're actually just walking out in disobedience because now you know the truth. You know what you should do but you don't do anything about it. Interesting that you can look intently and still do nothing, if you could pick that up in the text. You can look intently. That's what, that's what James says, is that the person, they're looking intently. They're not just giving that quick glance. And how many of you looked in the mirror this morning before you came to church? 73% of you. Okay. Uh, most of you, you, you didn't just, you know, wake up and, you know, you know if you want to throw on a hat or something. And, and listen, we, we don't judge you at all on, on how you look and how you, what you wear going, coming to church. Um, come before the Lord. But if you go out anywhere, most people would say, mm, I should probably just take a look and see if, you know, this cowlick is lying down or if there's broccoli in my teeth or... You know, something, there's a natural thing to say, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror, and if there's something that I need to, to adjust or, or change, you know, about it, I should probably deal with that. And this is what James is saying, is that it's pretty disturbing, actually, that you can look intently, look at how you, your appearance is, see something that, that needs to be changed, but you just you don't do anything about it. it. It doesn't seem to make any logical sense. See, so you can attend church every Sunday, pay attention to the message, nod, throw to amen every once in a while, take notes in your James Scripture journal, Greet me on the way out. Good sermon. Good sermon, pastor. 
feel these warm fuzzies inside, feel really inspired, and you go to your life group and you can't wait to share something that you've learned. And you think in your mind that you are a serious Christian. But listen, if you don't actually do anything with what you've heard, James says it's, it's worthless. And you're only deceiving yourself, thinking that you're okay when you're, when you're not. That's hard truth. So he says, be a doer. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And don't get me wrong and don't get James wrong. Nothing wrong with hearing. You need to hear the word of God. But it's the first step. The passage that Tanya read in Matthew chapter 7 alludes to this. This is really resonating from James, from the words of Jesus that says, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man building his house on the rock. It goes on to say, the person that hears the word but doesn't put them into practice is what? It's a foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and that house does not stand. This is the evidence. This is the evidence of receiving the word in humility. It's the evidence of of the word actually taking root in your heart, that you act, that you respond in action. And James says it also brings about blessing. See, that's what obedience brings. When we obey, then there is joy we are doing what God wants us to do. We're doing what he put us here for. And there's sometimes where perhaps you've, you've said something, you've written something down, you say, oh, this is what I have to do. And you walk out the door and you, you go to Tony Roma's or wherever for lunch and, and then it's gone and it doesn't ever, ever come back to you that you actually do it. It's been pointless. It's empty. And I'll give you one example, and it's one that I, I call you to fairly often, and, uh, and I don't mean this in a way of putting guilt on you, because this isn't the, that's not the point, I think, of what it is. It's just to really self-reflect and say, am I doing what God says? But you know that the Bible says very clearly that you should be baptized? It's a command. It's an imperative. It means this is what followers of Jesus do. You stand in water. You testify of what God has done for you and brought you salvation, and you proclaim that to those who would hear it. You say, I'm, I'm allied with Jesus. And so I say this to you and to some who perhaps haven't been baptized, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's very clear. It's an imperative. Be baptized. And you can look at it and say, hmm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to. And I'm scared of standing in front of people. All this. And I, I put it to you again, not in a way that will just put a weight of guilt on you, but just to say this is a simple, practical thing. When there's something in scripture that Jesus or the teaching of the apostles says, this is how you should live. This is what a follower of Jesus does. And you say, hmm, that's really interesting. And you do nothing about it. It means nothing. It's pointless. So I invite you to consider and prayerfully consider if, if you haven't been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, 
he'll talk to me. Be obedient. There is joy in, in obedience. Allow, obviously allow the spirit of God to speak to you. When you come away from a sermon and something, something is nudging at you, pointing at you and say, this is something that's not right in my life. This is a person I need to talk to and I need to make this right. There's someone that has done something to me or I've done something to them and there's a rift in our relationship and you hear that in the message or you read it in scripture and you do nothing about it. You're deceiving yourself. It's been worthless. Last thing that James says, talks about how to practice pure religion. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So it's like at the end of this passage, it's almost like, okay, what does that look like, James? What does it look like to, to not be self-deceived, to hear the word and to do it? What, is that, what does it look like? And so he says, oh, good, glad you asked. Here you go. Some practical things. Eugene Peterson says this, his, his paraphrase says this, anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. So what does it look like? He says quickly three things. First of all, bridle your tongue. You're going to hear more about the tongue uh, and some of James' thoughts on that in, in chapter 3. But when it says bridle your tongue, because what, what's in your heart comes out your mouth, what Jesus said. And that's, that's so important for us to realize. It's not just words, it's things that are within us come out. And so this can be speaking of gossip, lies, stirring up controversy on your social media, using your words in ways that don't build up. So bridle your tongue. Secondly, it says help those in need. When it says orphans and widows, it just doesn't mean like those are the only types of people. It was proverbial. It was just like these are people that we know of that are in need, that need help. Open your eyes around you, see who is hurting. It was great to see yesterday some of our young adults that went around to some of our, our seniors and, and did work projects and just helping them out. That's, that's pretty much it. Just do you have a need? Do you have something that you can't, can't do physically on your own and we can help you with? That's, that's what this is. Stepping in and helping someone that needs help. Maybe you know someone that's, that's having a hard time financially and they just bring them a bag of groceries or someone that has a family member in the hospital Encourage them, bring, bring groceries, bring a meal. We, we talk about it often, uh, is that we, we serve at the soup kitchen, and a bunch of you serve there all through the month. We do it one time as an organized way on the third Friday of the month. You'll hear it continually. We, we value that. It's one opportunity. It doesn't make us go, oh, we're, we're so wonderful, we do this. It's just, it's there, it's an opportunity. There's homeless in our community. Let's help it's help in the way that we can, and there's probably a whole lot more ways to help. 
I was waiting for Bill to say amen. On October 16th, um, here, Brian Cool, who is the Southern Alberta uh, Compassion Representative, is kind of come and speak. And it's going to be another opportunity. Some of you I know, you sponsor children. Compassion is, is an incredible organization that does work projects throughout the world and also invests in sharing the gospel with families. There's going to be a, a very tangible opportunity for you to step up and to sponsor children, but also to hear about projects in our, in our world. Open our eyes. What can we do? There's a hurting world. You're also going to hear that we're, going to, we're talking about going to Mexico in April with youth and young adults and some, some of us as a team. And we're going to be building homes for families that have nothing. And you might just be tempted to say, well, you know, Mexico, why do we have to go to Mexico? We can do that here. We can. There's also a big world. And it also opens our eyes to see that in a different culture, there's a, there's a poverty that we, we also uh, want to see too. So there's just tangible ways, tangible ways that we can be involved. Open your eyes, meet needs of hurting people. Finally, he says, pursue personal holiness. Don't be stained by, by the sin of the world around you. Don't be polluted. We can't run from the world. We can't isolate ourselves from it. Jesus didn't model that. He spent time with sinners. We don't run from it. But as Martin Luther famously said, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. Right? So we don't let the world completely, uh, we don't absorb ourselves into it. Now listen, you may have grown up in, a, in a, sin, a sin or a shame culture. And I think perhaps there's been sometimes a, a shift and it's maybe been healthy in some ways, <clears throat> definitely away from that, but to a, a grace culture shift. And grace is good. Don't hear me to say grace isn't good. But this, in a way where grace, we misunderstand and we say it's okay to sin. It's okay to, to walk in the same ways as the world. And perhaps we need to realign ourselves and consider recalibration to a righteous life culture. It's one that we pursue, that we actively battle sinful habits, attitudes, and behaviors. And it's not a work on our own that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, we're, we're, we're battling sin and we're being victorious. It comes from Jesus. Because James says this, he says, we can embrace this perfect law that gives freedom. That's the gospel. It gives freedom. Not freedom to sin, but freedom to live holy lives that reveal the fruit, the true fruit of being born again. This is a question I want to leave with you, and I, I, hope, um, I hope you're convicted, and I hope it isn't just because of my words. I hope it's something that's stirring in your heart to say, you know what, I say this is what I believe. I mentally agree with, I could say, I passionately believe in Jesus as the Son of God. But if it doesn't translate into something that you're actually living out, what good is it? And so these questions... Simple this. Is there anything, something particular that you've heard? You've heard it, okay? It's been clear that you've heard it. In the word or in a teaching, maybe today, and you've never done anything about it. And so out of that, I ask you, what will you do about it? Let me pray.